Episode 37 The Multipurpose Trail was one of Christmastown's many urban planning marvels. By design, no residence was more than a quarter mile away from it. The trail wove between yards along the newly flowing river, where willows wept and cherry trees flowered to welcome the spring. The path then looped around the entire downtown area, past the reflecting pool behind City Hall and the depot for the downtown giving train with its outdoor food court. Most people tended to step off the trail here, but not Jackie. She was once again the kind of runner who, once she started, did not ever want to stop. After this, she was due at a meeting with the city council to go over Christmastown's eviction policy. Jackie believed the current one was too harsh. One month of not meeting your giving goal earned you a warning. Another month, and you and yours were out on your behinds. There was no appeals process as such, because metrics didn't lie. But when he'd first drafted this policy, Harry had not recognized all the possible impediments to giving, even in Christmastown. For instance, some people insisted on keeping their former jobs back in what many now called the real world. This, despite Christmastown's excellent job placement service. The polity still cried out for salespeople, accountants, computer technicians, and security personnel, not to mention nannies and landscapers and maids, positions Jackie really would have liked to wrest from the guest workers. Other families drove their children hundreds of miles to outside schools, rejecting Christmastown's top-notch educators and their uplifting, free-market-oriented curriculum. Such baffling choices had led to commutes of over three hours each way for some residents, who afterward found themselves in no frame of mind to give. And what about vacations or other extended travel to the remaining places on earth where there were no Karlsmarts? True, the town's leadership could strongly discourage or even ban such travel, but then Christmastown would resemble a communist regime, and it was the opposite of that. Jackie's footfalls reverberated through the wooden bridge over the river. Running helped her think, and also not to think. Considered this way, it was a form of prayer. If Jackie's experiences this past year had taught her anything, it was that the Lord's ways were not only mysterious, but downright mischievous. Praying for something would indeed bring you that something, but inside out, upside down, so belated and disguised it could take you ages to understand. This was a recipe for frustration. On the other hand, if you found a way to truly forget what you wanted, you would soon have it. Running provided a way to forget. It dawned on Jackie that the overstressed commuters might gladly hire others to do their giving for them. If necessary, guest workers could fill the bill, but so could many residents who loved to give and had extra time on their hands. This was a good idea. Harry would love it, as would the council. There, one problem solved already. But, oh, Harry. Jackie shook her head and ran harder. The trail wound alongside the golf course and then steered the runner toward the soft hills and rhythmically moving sheep animatronic to cut down on pollution and the possibility of disease, of the outer green space. Jackie thought of Katie in school back in Morton, living with Stick. The girl had not made bad choices, even if Jackie couldn't bring herself to admit that on the rare occasions when they talked on the phone. Finishing out the school year in Morton made sense, though Christmastown schools were vastly superior to Morton's, with required courses in business ethics, computer science, and architecture. Katie's decision showed maturity. Also, Katie did not want to leave the boy she loved. So now she was gone. Not really gone, but, yes, gone. Gone. Was Harry gone, too? He'd been on the road for months. Like Katie, he had turned into a voice on the telephone, first once a day and lately once every few. Jackie had begun to forget what he looked like. Was the face she saw in her mind the real one or a figment of her imagination? But she didn't have a photograph of him, even on a magazine cover. She didn't want one, because too much precision in memory could be dangerous. How could their love be the same when he came back, when their bodies had been apart for so long? They would fold together awkwardly, elbows and knees. They could not be as they were, 
and so she must forget the past, even as she anticipated a better future. Because this was not the end for them. Harry had pried Jackie open, filleted her, and left her splayed. You could not do that to someone and then leave. You owned that exposed soul, which you made raw to your touch and to your absence. You could not abandon. You could not say, let's not push things. What in the hell did that even mean? Jackie turned her thoughts to Molly. Dear, resilient, beautiful Molly. Day after day she rose to meet the impossible expectations heaped upon her by adults, many of whom expected far less of themselves. Molly still had that edge of weariness about her that had surfaced in Canada last month, but no one else had noticed, not even Caridad, Molly's wonderful nanny, who was not a guest worker but a certified winner. Molly just needed a little rest. Jackie had cut back on visiting hours at the house. Also, for the past several weeks, CEDN had shown reruns of Molly's daily appearances. No one had seemed to notice that she was not live. Perhaps she had stopped being live a long time ago. Jackie's heart clenched. She ran harder still. The trail bent into the inner green space, which is to say, the forest. Jackie now found herself completely alone. Christmastown's other residents hardly ever came to the inner green space, possibly because of its darkness, though it was still considerably lighter than most forests. But the rest of the town was an unusually bright, orderly place. The forest may have seemed too much of a contrast. The air tasted green and damp. Jackie's sneakers crunched on the dirt track. A parrot screeched in the canopy. Everywhere else in Christmas Town, if you listened closely, you could detect the background hum of the dome doing its work. It worked here in the forest, too, but the trees absorbed the sound. For the most part, Jackie found the silence of the forest refreshing, but she could see why others might have felt a little scared. At the upcoming council meeting, Jackie decided to call for additional birds to be placed in the canopy. Also a few discreet vendors along the track to put people more at ease. There, another very good idea. She was a good mayor, if not a good mother. Jackie breathed deep through her nose, inviting the calming forest air into her body. Instead, a terrible stench slammed into her like a wall. She stopped and leaned against a wrought iron bench, gasping and wiping her eyes. It smelled like some large animal had died nearby, but except for the birds, there were no real animals in the forest. Jackie heard a growl, very close. She gasped, and before looking around her, instinctively checked the sky. Surely the surveillance cameras in the dome could see her. Or could they? The canopy was thick, the dome only visible in splotches. Why had no one in green space management realized this and cut the trees back? Did Jackie have to think of everything around here? The growl came again, followed by a soft whistling. That was no growl, but a snore. Jackie peered into the shadows. Under a nearby oak tree, a large, filthy creature slept. Its head rested on a backpack as it lay curled in a semi-fetal position with its back to Jackie. The creature wore a tattered khaki vest, the kind with a million pockets and dirt-encrusted jeans. Twigs and leaves matted its long gray hair. Hey, Jackie shouted at the sky. Do you see this? Do you see this thing down here? She unclipped her ID card from her shorts and waved it at an open spot in the canopy. Minutes went by and no cops arrived on their electric scooters. Call boxes, Jackie thought. They had to put emergency call boxes in the forest. No, that was absurd. There should be no need for call boxes anywhere. The whole point of Christmas Town was that winners could always trust one another. The monster, or was it an enormous crazed old man, snored on through her shouting. Jackie looked around for a stick to poke him with. She stepped off the path and kicked around under the ferns. Unfortunately, the Quality of Life squad had just conducted a debris sweep, and nary a fallen stick or even dead leaf remained. Finally, Jackie picked up two of the smooth gray river stones that delineated the path. It felt like a terrible breach, breaking the line. But this was an emergency. 
With a stone in each hand, she tiptoed toward the heaving, stinking heap. Out of nowhere a thought struck her. Was this her father? Had he somehow crept back to her in this ruined form, seeking forgiveness? She hadn't seen him in almost twenty years or heard from him in ten. She'd never responded to the birthday cards he used to send each year, always pink with sparkles, like she was forever his princess, that stupid little girl. So he'd stop sending them. He had to be alive still. If he'd died, his latest wife or girlfriend would have found a way to get in touch. She would have felt some trace of responsibility. Or maybe not. Maybe she was as selfish as a person would have to be to take a man from his family. It would be almost funny, Jackie thought, to meet him like this. He had broken her heart, so she would break his head. Methodically, she would pound it, first with one stone, then with the other. Of course, she would refrain from violence. She would only employ the stones for self-defense. Besides, this being was much larger than her father, and much less human. Resting on his thigh, his hand, covered in gray fur, was the size of a skillet. With every snore his back surged, broad as a boulder. Clutching her stones, heart-pounding, she dug a toe between his shoulder-blades. "'Hey,' she said. "'You. Get up.' "'Where?' she wondered. Had she learned to talk like such a bully?' With a rumbling that made Jackie jump three feet in the air, the creature, or man, began to move. The head turned. The eyes opened, wide and blue as the Christmas-town sky. Faint, cloud-like forms seemed to undulate through them. Those clouds were time itself. Inside the thick, filthy beard, the desiccated lips began to move. A word formed. But Jackie did not stick around to hear it. Shrieking, she raced out of the forest, ignoring the cries of, "'Beautiful day, isn't it?' that came at her left and right. Back at her office, gulping air, she set the two stones, which she had forgotten to let go of, on her desk. The damp shadows of her hands faded from them. In the old days, Jackie would have believed she'd seen the devil himself. She would have called on Pastor Mike to heal the city, perhaps even to lay his hands upon the dome. But life in Christmastown had modified her views. Oh, she knew the devil existed. He was chaos, the maw that chewed up humanity's best intentions and spat them out as disasters. She also still believed in God. But he, like the devil, did not appear and disappear magically. Both worked through systems, through programs and technologies. That was how the battle for Christmastown would be fought. She dispatched the police, and also animal control, to the forest, and ordered a complete security sweep of the city. 